Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about the DHS fights free speech and opposes truckers. Felicia Benton Wilson joins me in studio to talk about ragtime at the Lyric Theater here in Dallas, the real insurrection plot, and Hillary spies and lies, and Trump replies. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. If you missed our show this past Thursday, you missed an interview we did with a gentleman named Kyle Scheidler, and he wrote a fabulous piece, which I want to talk about a little bit more, uh, more today, and it relates to a new bulletin issued by the Department of Homeland Security. And the reason I care about this so much is that it impacts every single American and their freedom of speech. If you go to our website, whether you're listening on radio or you're online, go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, Click on the interview with Kyle Scheidler. It is eye-opening about what the DHS recently promulgated just one week ago today. In short, what they're saying is that it's a new and expanded definition of domestic terrorism. A domestic terrorist can now include anyone who says things inconsistent with the government's position about COVID, COVID vaccine policy, COVID passports, or if you say anything inconsistent with the um, government's position on election fraud in 2020. Literally, they are saying you may be considered a domestic terrorist if you don't agree with the government. These are the kind of things third world tin pot dictators do, tyrants, communists. This has no place in America. Of course, it's caused great uproar. I want to call your attention to it, uh, both because of last week's interview being so good, also the piece that Kyle Scheidler wrote at American Greatness called DHS, American Thought Police, because part of what they're pointing out is that the DHS is going from targeting terrorists, meaning people who may do, thing, do violence to other people, people who may uh, engage in some kind of violent attack, to what you think and say what you think and say can be now, in their worldview, committed, uh, uh, considered domestic terrorism. They also have, at the same time, weighed in uh, with the ongoing truckers convoy for, uh, freedom protests in Canada. And our government, and by the way, last night, or early this morning, the Canadian authorities did clear the bridge. It was a main bridge between America and Canada that the truckers had blocked. And the entire point of the truckers convoy is to ask the government to please drop the COVID mandates. It began just with a more minor point. The truckers didn't like something that the um, Justin Trudeau had issued where he said basically if the truckers left the country and came back in, uh, they had to either show a vaccine passport or quarantine for two weeks. They were first protesting that, but the protest has grown enormously and the protest is spreading around the world. It's spreading around the world because people are realizing COVID has been used as an excuse to take away people's freedom. And I want to just play for you. There were a couple of videos just so you understand the breadth of the protests happening around the world. And Mr. Becker, I know I sent you a bunch of um, clips. You got the clips? You have the clips. Okay. So there was, okay, this is Canada. This is, and then, you know, these are the people that Justin Trudeau called violent and white supremacists and all sorts of lunatic names. These are like, you know, this is the church lady crowd right here. This is the, the people just saying, we actually don't think that we should have to be controlled by you and we don't like what you're doing. So this is Canada. Another one is in Australia. In Australia, the picture, the size of this crowd, this is, in fact, I think I, yeah, this was one of them, but another same crowd in Australia is so large, it had an aerial view. These, the crowds going back across the bridge as far as you can see. Isn't there a little uh, audio with this one? In this lady. Um, and then you'll be out to like. Yes, yes, yes. It's as far as you can see. This is insane. This is insane. Okay, so that's in Australia. And then there's one in Paris. The aerial view of the French protest. 
Look at the size of this crowd. Now, I've got to tell you really clearly, France is pretty much socialist. I mean, these people, they're happy not to work. They're, I mean, they hardly get riled up. They've surrendered a lot of freedom to the government over the decades, especially in recent years, and they're out of their minds. They cannot believe what they're putting up with. Um, and then, uh, I think the first one you showed, Mr. Becker, was in Win Windsor, uh, Ontario. And then this last one, uh, this is back to Canada. And they had a bunch of the um, military veterans show up to try to protect the protesters, the trucker protesters at the border, from the police. And here's what those protesters did the Canadians sang. train choir but these are Canadian veterans and they're trying to protect the truckers from the police who as I say did finally the authorities in Canada did finally clear the, the uh, border bridge between America and Canada but I want to make this point in closing out the first five the spirit of freedom is spreading around the world many people who pretty much went along with growing government control over your life growing government in size and, con and controlling more and more of what people do People who went along with it, kind of like the frog in the pot and the water is only slowly heating, they're like, okay, I'm still pretty okay. Right now, what's happened, the Canadian truckers began this, this kind of, uh, you know, really, really visible movement. And they're obviously not, you know, um, they're not people who are just, you know, have nothing else to do. They're, they're people who work for a living, who work hard, who drive trucks, who are separated from their family quite often. The things the Canadian authorities have done to them, they've taken away their fuel so they can't keep their trucks running and it's cold. They threaten to take their children away. I mean, they, this really been a push from government. And then our own DHS, loop back my point to start with, our own Department of Homeland Security is urging the truckers to, uh, urging, urging the government of Canada to crack down, break up this protest, don't let them do this. I just want to say this about that in closing the first five. It will not matter. It will not matter if the government succeeds and getting the, to break up the truckers' convoy in Canada. And it won't matter if they break up the, the uh, protests in, in Canberra, Can, Can, I don't know how to say it correctly, Canberra, whatever it is, Australia. They are, and in, in France, they're arresting people. The police are literally breaking the windows on cars as they're standing there, as they're going along in their protest mode. I'm literally smashing windows in. Ending the, pro ending the car protest, ending the truckers' convoy is not going to put out this fire of freedom. People are finally realizing not just that they don't want to have this uh, COVID regulation control them for the rest of their lives, determine where they can go, whether they're allowed to be outside their house, and whether they have to show a vaccine passport in order to live, to function, to go, to travel. They, don't, they have realized that governments in many countries around the world have slowly over time grown in their sense of their right to simply rule your life. Very different from governed, especially in America, under a structure of laws with the guardrails of the Declaration of Independence, the guardrails of the Constitution, which is we're not always following as well as we should, but the people have started to realize that the ruling class, the ruling elite in this world have grown to have more and more power and many people have just allowed it. They have slowly conceded without recognizing it happening. I'm telling you this COVID uh, tyranny that's coming out of America's government around the world, people are awake and it doesn't matter how many trucker convoys they break up or even people they arrest, the spirit of freedom is on the rise. It's the best news there has been in a very long time in this world. The overthrowing of the ruling elite and their mindset that says, we rule you and we'll let you know how much freedom you can have. Not in America, and America's government is, is hearing from the people too. There's this rising up of freedom is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's rising up of freedom, God-given freedom, as clearly many, many people of many faiths understand our freedom comes, as our declaration says, from God, not from the government, and they are going to stand up for it. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So I mentioned before the show, we have a guest in the studio. She's been here uh, numerous times, but for other reasons today, um, she's here to talk about, and you've been here a bunch of times. All but, kinds of things. <laughs> but she's going to talk about something really cool, and I didn't know um, a lot about this. I, I, I can't remember who is even telling me about it, um, but um, there is a production 
first let me introduce my friend here. She is my friend too, Felicia Benton Wilson. Uh, she's a CEO and co-principal of Zoe Communications Agency, which we'll let her tell you about that for a minute. But the reason she's here today, she's directing a musical that's help, happening here in Dallas. It has, you know, it's a famous, famous story, but here's a musical in Dallas. Uh, and she is, she's been a performer, a singer, an entrepreneur. Uh, she's just a, a multi-talented person and just endless energy person. But right now she's directing the production of Ragtime. In fact, I noticed, I'm going to ask her about this, they keep saying ragtime, uh, and they add on uh, in concert, I'm not sure what the title is, but I want to have her tell about this. I love the story of ragtime. You read, if you remember from high school, maybe you may have read E.L. Doctorow's original book, Ragtime, and then it was done again and made into a play, but they're doing a musical now for this here in Dallas, and I just think it's the coolest thing ever, so I want to ask her to tell us about that. So, Hi, Felicia. Hey, Debbie. How are you? I'm happy to see you, and I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. It's happy. It's good to see you. It's been probably a couple of years since I saw you last. Yes, yeah. yeah. We actually had your fashion show was the, the yeah. uh, I think, two or three years, frequent sure. topic. Sure, yep. yeah. We normally do a, a fashion show for children with special needs on World Down Syndrome Day, kind of around this time. It's usually around March that we, or February, that we start talking about it because the fashion show is in March. But... I'm here talking about something totally different this time. <laughs> well, and I love that because you are just, I, I know it sounds like I'm just, I'm not really that nice. I'm not just being nice. You are so full of talent. I mean, you just do so many different things. And so um, I, I, I want to hit ragtime first. Kay. Tell us about this whole lyric theater. You've been involved in them and, and what this ragtime show is all about. Yeah, so I've been a, a performer for a very long time and have worked with lots of theaters and programs as a performer, singer, director. Um, and this time I am directing a beautiful show called Ragtime um, that we're doing at what's called in concert. We're doing a staged concert. So we're doing all of the blocking, all of the movement. There's choreography but the coolest thing about this is that there's a 19 piece orchestra that is on stage at the same time um, so normally orchestras are in the pit and many places in Dallas don't even have orchestras like you'll go to a theater and you might, won't be able to experience you know a 19 piece orchestra even in the pit but this time there'll be a 19 piece orchestra on stage um, and we've staged the entire production so there's no uh, scenery if you will but all of the other elements are certainly there okay i i love that i love music yeah and, and i love i do love orchestra i actually played piano for years and i, and I still can kind of play i can play chopsticks sure no i can play piano <laughs> a little bit but <laughs> Not like I'm these people, but uh, didn't I also read that this is kind of the actual local talent um, of um yeah. yeah. So go ahead and tell that story. Local talent? Not sure. So this is all local talent. Everybody that is a part of this team is uh, from the Dallas area. Many theaters do bring in talent from all over the country, usually New York. But we have got, I should have given you a clip. We've got a couple of really great clips online about this show. Um, so I can probably get you a clip too so you can hear some of the cast. Okay. Hey, Mr. Becker, can you hear me? <laughs> Mr. Becker. Yeah. Okay. Can you go online, just go see Ragtime Lyric Theater, because I saw stage. that today. Lyric Stage, look on YouTube. There's a new YouTube video up Lyric, Okay, because I actually watched one earlier today, and yeah. I meant to send it to him, and I got distracted and didn't do it. But go ahead, if he finds it, he's very good at this. He'll probably okay. find it while we're talking. Okay, yeah, the cast is phenomenal. They are incredible performers. Uh, some of them have done the show before, but many of them are new to it. Uh, probably the best treat that we have is our music director, Sheila Walker. She was uh, with so many versions of the show so she worked on the um the the broadway tour she was the music director for the broadway tour she uh, was a part of the music team for i think that the the um concert that happened at lincoln center like she's been with this show for 20 years and knows the music so well so to have her as a part of our artistic team is a real real treat absolutely and you know i know you know it's not like a storyline, like a mystery where you don't want to ruin it by telling you who is a bad guy. Sure. It's a fabulous storyline. And it kind of is a very moving storyline. Do you yeah. want to tell about a little bit? Yeah, it's kind of one of those stereo uh, 
storylines that um, continues to repeat itself in some ways, it feels like. So the story is very much so set at the turn of the century, 1906. Um, and we see the movement of many different races trying to figure out how to live amongst one another. America. How to yeah. be America. Yeah. Um, so uh, you see three distinct groups. We see them in the show uh, represented as a, a group that lives in New Rochelle, New York, a group that lives in Harlem, and a group of immigrants that are kind of on the outskirts and all throughout New York. So everything takes place in New York. Um, okay. But we see these different groups that live throughout it in different areas. So New Rochelle is kind of the high-end, rich, yeah. mostly white. Yeah. Okay, New Rochelle. And then the uh, one other person is a Latvian yes. immigrant who's Jewish. That's is that right. Correct? That's right. Okay. And then the third one is a is a young black guy. But is he, and he wants to be in performance, isn't he? Yeah, he, so he is our example, I guess, of Scott Joplin. Um, yeah. So Scott Joplin very much so spearheaded or was a notable name in the genre and era of ragtime. So we see this fella, Cole House Walker, who yeah. is kind of the representation of that. Um, but he has, um, he is a professional musician and he is not gonna be on the road anymore as a professional musician. He tries to settle down. Uh, he's found a woman that he really loves and he tries to settle down with her. And he's very hopeful of the America that is evolving at the turn of the century. He goes into it very hopeful and some things turn for him very quickly. Turn less than good. <laughs> turn less, <laughs> they turn terrible for him. Okay, he's a singer, is that what he is? He's a piano player. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know this. I do remember this. Um, the El Doctoro thing was um, was I fairly sure I read this in high school. Am I losing track of this? No. Yeah, you timing? did read it in high school. Maybe I'm. I'm sure it's a very popular novel. Yeah, I think yeah. I did. And actually, that kind of interplay of human. I mean, you, you made a point earlier about maybe I'll be thinking about this again. It is so true. I yeah. mean, this idea of how do you relate to each other, how yep. you can understand how each other are thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm yep. sure the. I don't, I actually don't recall it that well. I should probably go to this, by the way. You should go to it. <laughs> you should read it and you should go to it. The the novel is is fascinating. So there are real historical um, characters that are in the play. Um, and then the scenarios, however, are just based on the time. There are so many things in this show. Um, since it's a concert version, we uh, costumed it in kind of an interesting way. So my goal as a director is for the stories to feel really close. I didn't yeah. want to costume it in a way that looked like 1906 and you feel like these things don't happen anymore. I wanted it to feel very uh, accessible for people. So, uh, so it should be a pretty interesting take on the musical ragtime with incredible voices and a lovely orchestra. Okay. Well, you have an incredible voice. Obviously, you're not in it since you're directing. No, yeah. But you I'm have an incredible it. voice. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm t when I'm not tired, my voice <laughs> my voice is all right. <laughs> is this the first time you've directed? No, it's my first time directing like this, a stage. I've never directed a staged musical with an orchestra on the stage at the same time. But I've been the arts director at a school for years and years. I've directed all kinds of people for for many many years i said you, you're amazingly multi-talented so you know i'll tell you listeners first of all i meant to say at the beginning happy valentine's day yeah. i love valentine's day it's a beautiful day this is a good idea if you're anywhere in north texas and you didn't think of a good valentine's gift for your wife or husband to get tickets for this it's actually i just i had that thought that's a really good idea it is a good idea so how does one get tickets uh they go to lyricstage.org lyricstage.org to find tickets and it's at the majestic theater oh yeah i meant to say if that you've never been to the majestic theater it's worth a travel into town to really make a thing out of it the majestic theater is a hundred plus years old it's majestic yeah, it is majestic <laughs> one of the characters in the play is harry houdini and harry houdini actually performed at the majestic oh, theater wow. many moons ago so uh, kind of a cool full circle moment for the guy who's playing harry houdini in this show yeah so you have music on stage you yeah. have local actors mm -hmm. you have you directing and the story that is kind of timeless that's right and, but still trying to make it um i don't know i mean you, you and you're trying to make it drawn in like you feel like you're part of it you're not just you know there is a difference i've noticed in books tvs movies tv shows movies where at some point you either it's real and you're in it or you just feel like you're watching what is this actor going to do now that's right 
we don't want that to be the case at all. We, really, we very much so want the people who are watching this show to see themselves in some way or, or see a theme or an idea that connects with them. I love that about the um, theater. We have several clients that are theaters um, with Zoe Communications Agency. And so much of what we do even with working with theaters is we try to help people understand the connection of the story that these theaters are creating to our everyday lives uh, because art very much so is imitating of the things that we experience every day. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, I'm fussing with this thing. It's, it's, it's okay. pulling at me, okay. Um, and so if people can get tickets, and it's yeah. very soon, it's coming up. This th weekend. Th Thursday, sorry, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So it's a very short run, just this weekend, Thursday through Sunday. Why is it such a short run? It's just such a big production. Well, <laughs> yeah, the Majestic Theater is not necessarily home to one specific place, and so they have lots of things that come in and out of the Majestic. So once we are out of there, someone else will come in to do something new. Yeah, so this isn't something you can take on the road. This is going to no. be a one-time thing. This is a one-time thing. And uh, theaters around here don't do ragtime very often because it's a big show to put up. If you want it to be as full as it is, then you do want an orchestra sound. You've got to have at least a cast of 30 to really pull it off and uh, for it to sound as full as it deserves. Um, so I would say around Dallas, you might see ragtime. The last time I did it was nine years ago. Um, okay. So you'll probably see it every four to 10 years or five to 10 years around Dallas. Okay, and how many are in your cast? Uh, there are 30 uh, cast members and then 19 people in the, in the orchestra. Wow, this is so fun. I have to tell you, there's something else about, I mean, I, I do remember I love to read. I read a, a lot and, and funny actually as an aside, I don't know if you're ever on Facebook very often, but there's this one group on Facebook that talks about books. Mm -hmm. and it's just making, just commentary about people who read all the time. And so many of them, I'm, I'm kind of smiling because it's kind of like how I feel. It's like, I, I know as I walk in the bookstore, I have enough books. Mm -hmm. I have a lot, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> but you can always use more. You can always you, use more books. Yeah, and, and but there's something about books and art. You know, you can have political discussions to try to explain issues That's right. and encourage understanding and put yourself in someone else's shoes. But there's something, it's kind of like parables in the Bible. Yeah. The stories make you go, oh, I get that lesson. And you remember the lesson because it was a parable yep. and the same, yeah. Yeah, there's so many parts of this story in particular. God, I want to podcast about this show after it's all said and done. I want people to see it. And then I want to talk about it because there are so many themes, so many ideas and so many things that I'm sure that we go through every day that we will see differently in story. I think even when we think about race and cultural issues that we are as America are still trying to figure out so much of that plays out in this story on of the story of ragtime that I think will allow from this for discussion from different perspectives just because you would have seen it in a different sort of way. I couldn't agree more, and that I was starting to say about how you know you can hear a politician give a speech or anyone else lecture, but if you're just sitting and listening, you're you're able to think, oh, that's how that person feels, yeah. and that's how she or he perceives the situation, and you're not being challenged, you're right. not being told you did something wrong. You're like, wow, I didn't really think that through. It's yeah. kind of a game changer. In, in lifting thought. That's right. And musicals too, particularly this one, has a, does a beautiful job of allowing you to experience lots of different emotions so you don't get trapped in one the whole time. And so that allows you sometimes, I think, to think even more freely, because if there's a moment of frustration, but then it's coupled with a moment of joy, then it allows you to come out of that frustration for just a moment and then maybe revisit it in a different sort of way. But you would have emotionally moved to a new place to experience it newly. Okay. You're, I, always, I always tell you this. I think you're amazing. I mean, the way you articulate it, I mean, it just it sounds really wonderful. For our listeners, okay, we're good on time. So... You can go to, and Lyric is singular, Lyric yes. Stage. Lyric, lyricstage.org and, and get, get tickets. tickets. And they're not very expensive, I noticed yeah, that. Yeah, like $38. The whole, and you can, it's like first come, first serve is where you sit. So if you buy your ticket and you show up really early, you can be orchestra center. Okay, and at the Majestic, which is, a, as, is Majestic, as we it's said, incredible, wonderful theater. Beautiful yeah. place, right in the middle of downtown, downtown yeah. Dallas. Okay, I love that, and, and I really, I, honestly, I'm not kidding about you people out there. If you didn't get your wife a Valentine's Day gift, this is the time. This is a That's great right. idea, really a different idea rather than just, you know, another set of roses or something. Debbie. Take her to a show. What? Are you ready to see the promo for this show? Oh, he's got the promo ready. Oh, you go, Debbie. Oh, Mr. Okay, Becker, he's got it. Just Yay. a second. 
He's, I tell you, he's wonderful. Oh, yeah, Mr. Becker. <laughs> yes, the wheels are turning for us, girl, and the times are starting to roll. Any man can get where he wants to if he's got that fire in his soul. We'll see Justice Sam and plenty of men who will stand up and give us our due. There you go. February 17th to 20th, Majestic Theatre. Mr. Becker, thank you so much. Honestly, goodness, I, I just think this is so uplifting. My show, I've actually had friends who watch the show all the time, and they say, you know, you're always so heavy. You're always so serious. You're always pounding, pounding, pounding issues. And I am, because I think I think life is serious, and the issues are serious. But I love these kind of things. It's Valentine's Day. It's a good day to have a lighthearted thing, story. And the rest of my show today is very, very heavy. Um, but I also want to encourage you, this kind of thing, This is it does help bring community together to have people People, as I, I, I'm not overstating what I'm saying, I think that people learn the perspective of other people often better by just watching a play, reading a book, reading a parable in the Bible, uh, and then thinking about versus being told. So I just love it. Okay, we have until we uh, we have like two minutes here. So quick, tell us about Zoe Communications, your business too. Yeah, Zoe Communications is a full service um, marketing and strategic communications company. We work primarily with municipalities, cities, ISDs, chambers of commerce, and we develop strategic marketing initiatives and um, pieces for them to be able to tell their stories well. Uh, so how, what does that mean? That means that we offer everything from live video production to branding to social media and content management to podcasting. Uh, so you name it, if it's in the realm of communications, we do it company is named after my little girl Zoe who was born with Down syndrome uh, and we named it after her because she the way that she receives information has to be specific for her so we encourage our yeah we encourage our clients to really think about the people to whom they are speaking and to build communications around their audience and not to just make stuff because they feel like it Okay, you're really something. I, I always, <laughs> you know, it's funny. A lot. Of, I've had this thought before we get together. I'm thinking, what have I ever done? I can't think of anything. No, seriously, you do a really wonderful job. I love Zoe Communications' idea. I love that you're doing this lyric stage production uh, of Ragtime. Love the story of it. And uh, one more time, it's lyricstage.org. You can right. still get tickets this weekend. Thursday, what did you say, Thursday to Sunday? Yeah, Thursday to Sunday. Actually, uh, Friday through Sunday. Thursday is the student preview night, so Friday oh. is our official opening. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, two shows on Saturday, lyricstage.org. Okay, Felicia Benton-Wilson. First of all, I got married since last time I saw you, yeah. so congratulations. I'm married. I have an extra little baby now. Got a I know. I wasn't going to bring him up, but Mr. Ellington, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's a cute name, too. Thank you. I like him. He's a pretty cute kid. <laughs> okay, thank you so much for coming. It's great, great to see you. Thank you. You too, Debbie. Okay, my friends, we, before we go off to a break, the radio listeners at the bottom of the hour, I'm going to tell you three important things. Number one is... Come back after your three-minute break. We have a whole other half an hour of the show. We have great, great stories uh, to, for the second half of the show. Uh, second is, this show is, if you're listening on radio and you haven't heard it before, the show is called America Can We Talk. You can go to our website, americacanwetalk.org. americacanwetalk.org. You can find our blogs, our all past shows, all past interviews. Uh, we cover everything. I always say my entire purpose in the show is to save America. That's it. I Otherwise, I don't talk football. I don't talk fashion. I don't talk anything except things that touch on saving this precious country. On our website, americanwetalk.org, you can click on subscribe. Got our once a week newsletter. Love to have you do that. It comes out once a week, except when I, supposedly on Fridays, sometimes it's pushed off till Saturday. You also can become a member of America Can We Talk. It's $50 a year. And for that, my friends, you get discounts on our upcoming com conferences. We have a big fall conference in October. We have one and maybe two mini summits in the spring. 
discounts on our products, but mostly the reason to become a member of America Can We Talk is to support this show. The show is listener supported. It is those who love hearing truth about America, talking about America, who are actually able to join and hear more and support this show and allow it to keep on going on. So for radio listeners, I'll catch you right after uh, your three minute break. For those of you online listening, I have a special topic. I also have a special topic just for you. And I want to tell you something. I, I do, um, I, I do uh, media interviews for uh, political interviews. And uh, one, uh, I did one this morning. It was on this topic. And I, I honestly, um, I hadn't focused on this again as much as I should have. But I want to share something really, really important with you. So when January 6th occurred, almost immediately, um, Felicia's leaving. Bye. Okay. <laughs> um, there almost immediately, uh, there was talk out of the anti-American left, out of the Democrats in Washington, the media, calling the January 6th incident an insurrection, an insurrection. And I want to tell you why. I called this segment the real insurrection because I want to explain to you something that the left is up to. Never, ever, ever believe that the left is really up to what they're saying they're up to. It's always something else. It's all, some other hidden agenda. Well, it turns out in the 14th Amendment of our precious Constitution, uh, there is a clause in the 14th Amendment um, that is called the Disqualification Clause. I'm going to read it to you just this tiny little segment of, the, of this uh, 14th Amendment uh, Disqualification Clause. And basically the purpose of the 14th Amendment was to enable African Americans to become citizens, um, you know, and but it goes on to say, no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, who had previously taken an oath to support the Constitution and then engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies. Please understand, the reason that the anti-American left, which includes Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and most of the Democrats in the U.S. House and Senate and much of the mainstream anti-American media, the reason they seized on the word insurrection to describe what happened on January 6th is because they want to make Donald Trump not eligible to run for president. Again, not eligible. He's been carved out because they intend by the end of this January 6th committee and all the witnesses they call to at least accuse him of, and they have accused him of engaging in insurrection. They want something that amounts to a conclusion by that committee, maybe even a court ruling that somehow Donald Trump, who wasn't at the Capitol that day, engaged in an insurrection. And if you think I'm joking or exaggerating about this, you should know in the state of North Carolina, uh, there is a gentleman who is a member of Congress who gave a speech that day in Washington, uh, Congressman Cawthorn, who is now being sued under the insurrection clause. The same clause saying because he gave a speech that day in Washington, he's not qualified to run for office again. Beware, you heard it here first, the left is going to use this to try to disqualify Donald Trump. And carrying right on, welcome back to our radio listeners. This is America Can We Talk. My name is Debbie Georgiatis. The website for our show is americacanwetalk.org. The reason what we talked about in the break very briefly was the left using the term insurrection related to January 6th, very specifically and intentionally to be able to label Donald Trump and many of his supporters as having engaged in insurrection with the point being that because this insurrection clause exists, they can no longer run for any office or not eligible. Please know the left thought this through from the very beginning, which makes the conduct of Mitch McConnell, the minority leader in the Senate, where he's recently been talking about January 6th, everybody involved was terrorists. He criticized the RNC, the Republican National Committee, McConnell did, because they had finally, after all this time, censured Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and said, basically, you know, they're getting no further funding or support from the Republican Party. McConnell was complaining about that, saying, why, they're great Republicans. They're not, they are helping the left thwart the will of the American people who may want to elect Trump again. I'm not saying I want to elect Trump again, but this is a this is a manipulative, intentional, contorted accusation made about January 6th, calling it insurrection for the very purpose of trying to make sure Donald Trump does not ever uh, have it, the right to run for office again. And I want to couple that with, have you think about this, what the, the Department of Homeland Security, as I mentioned at the start of the show in the first five, DHS is now actually put out a bulletin saying, 
if you engage in challenging the outcome or in speaking in condemnation of the, gen the uh, elections of 2020, if you engage in speech which you challenge that the, whether or not the outcome of the 2020 election was fair, you can be considered, according to the DHS, a domestic terrorist. So they're telling, the, this is a Biden team, the Biden regime is saying, you can't talk about the insurrection, you can't talk about the elections of 2020, you can't even talk about it and challenge anything the government has said. You can't challenge the legitimacy of the Biden administration uh, because that constitutes domestic terrorism. And they're saying through this current, uh, this iteration, you may be considered uh, to have committed insurrection if you in any way support. Cawthorn, by the way, was in Washington. And while he gave a speech that day, he did not go in the Capitol. But he's still being challenged by a bunch of radical leftists in North Carolina saying he shouldn't be allowed to be part of the, um, you know, part of the whole, um, uh, um, I'm sorry, part of the, uh, he shouldn't be allowed to run for office again because he engaged in insurrection. I want to understand what I'm talking about, and it's going to kind of segue well into my final topic for today. When the left seizes power, as they have done now in Washington, D.C., when the left seizes power controlling the White House, the Senate, and the House, and many in the judiciary, many in the federal courts, they're never, ever, ever about trying to carry out the will of the people. They're never trying to govern from the perspective of staying within the guidelines of the Constitution and of federal law. They were always and forever about expanding their power and control over more and more aspects of your lives. And you can see it in a thousand ways. We've talked about in the show many times. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to um, run through those again today, but I really want you to see I don't want you to see what the left is doing as we segue in this next topic, the last topic for today. I call it Hillary Spies and Lies and Trump Replies. I want to explain something. You've been hearing little tidbits about this uh, in the news, I'm sure, if you pay attention to uh, national news and some of the, um, more, the national pundits who talk about these things, such as myself. There is a, what John, so you recognize, I, you remember, I recall, I assume you recall, that former Attorney General William Barr, after we spent, you know, three and a half years and millions and millions of dollars and, and, million, and, and hundreds of thousands of man hours, we finally had Mueller admit that the entire investigation he engaged in resulted in zero evidence of any Russia-Trump collusion. It was a cooked up accusation, yet we had to spend millions of dollars and man hours and, and headlines and distraction from the Trump agenda because we had during almost the entire uh, term of, the, of President Trump, we had the Trump-Russia collusion just capturing the headlines. So finally, when Mueller had to get on national TV and say, uh, there's actually nothing to this, there's not one darn thing there, uh, then Attorney General William Barr said, well, you know, then we think we got to look into this a little, little more then. I mean, you know, we have... And where did this come from, this whole Trump-Russia collusion idea come from, since there is nothing to it at all? So he appointed uh, a special counsel named John Durham. John Durham's job, and he's been really quiet for a long time, but John Durham has now come up, uh, and he is doggedly investigating. Very rarely there'll be a subtle little, you know, he's moving on this issue, he's looking into this person, but he's pretty much been, you know, not been a, a major, he, he doesn't seek needy attention, he's not a you know, uh, always looking to running for the cameras. He's apparently, well, we believe, we hope, doing the job uh, of actually doing the job of a special counsel, trying to figure out how in the world this entire hoax of the Trump-Russia collusion came to be. How did we even fall into believing this? So the first thing to remind you is that you know, the reason that Sidney Powell, the wonderful attorney who got Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, the reason she was able to finally extract my, uh, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn from the completely fraudulent charges against him was because of her dogged determination she finally got evidence in the actual handwriting of John Brennan then head of the CIA John Brennan under Obama head of the CIA John Brennan's own handwriting where he's acknowledging that the Hillary Clinton campaign cooked up the entire Trump Russia collusion hoax now, that would be enough for any other politician, 
anyone on either side of the aisle, and certainly if a Republican, to be, you know, have them land in jail with charges by you know, Hillary, the, the untouchable, the, you know, talk about someone who's just Teflon, never, ever, 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 ever responsible for her actions. But what's happened now is John Durham filed something, and I want to take a minute to explain what it was so it makes some sense to you. John Durham made a legal filing last week on February 11th, which I think was um, Friday. So on Friday, John Durham filed the government's motion to inquire into potential conflicts of interest in the case of Michael Sussman. And so it's just a legal motion. He's asking the court, he's announcing, I think we better look into a conflict of interest with respect to Michael Sussman. Michael Sussman, a former attorney with Perkins Coie, has been indicted. And Sussman is charged with lying to the FBI about who his client was lying to the FBI about who his client was. So that's the charge that he's looking at. So Sussman is, uh, at that time, um, his current counsel, Sussman's current counsel is a mega large law firm, uh, international law firm, Latham and Watkins. Every lawyer has heard of them. Latham and Watkins is Sussman's current counsel. Stay with me on this because it gets really good. Actually, maybe I should tease the ending of the story and then I'll tell you why I'm leading up to it. Here is the end of the story. The end of the story is without any question at all, Durham, through the filing I'm going to explain to you in more detail, Durham let everyone in the country who's paying attention know that the Hillary campaign, the Hillary Clinton for President campaign in 2016, acting through Perkins Coie, her law firm, Perkins Coie, and his attorneys, and its attorneys engaged a tech-savvy executive spy. They, he, they engaged a tech-savvy executive spy to spy on Trump via internet searches. And this tech-savvy executive has now been identified. It's Rodney Jaffe, we'll get to him in a moment. But what Durham's filing has now made clear to people following all this is Hillary, again, Hillary campaign through Perkins Coie and his attorneys engaged a tech-savvy executive to spy on Trump via Trump's internet searches. This executive exploited his connections to obtain private and proprietary data, including federal government data, to review internet searches originating, and here's what the Hillary team is doing, did at that time. Engaging in, using this guy who's Mr. Uber Tech Savvy, to engage in internet searches, so finding out what internet searches were made from various places, uh, originating in the Trump Tower. So as Trump said, they're spying on me. Yeah, big time. So they, this guy is through the help of the Hillary campaign by doing these, this, um, this illicit spying on internet searches made at the Trump Tower, at Trump's home, and in the White House. And moreover, this continued. This was not just during the Hillary campaign where she's trying to use her resources to get something to cook up against Trump. This continued after Trump assumed the Oval Office, after he won. This continued after he became president. The same guys continuing in this search uh, for, of trying to, of, of assessing internet searches and his internet searches, this guy Joffe's internet searches, has to do with the idea. Um, I want to just read you the exact language because it's very important to understand how because there are a lot of players and a lot of conflicting conduct, it's important to understand what is, being, what is now obvious to everyone paying attention. This guy, Jaffe, Rodney Jaffe, J-O-F-F-E, if you want to write in and say, you're supposed to say Joff. I tried to research it. Some people said Joff, said Jaffe. We're going to go with Jaffe. Rodney Jaffe, and he's identified in the Sussman complaint as Tech Executive One. And Rodney Jaffe um, asked his researchers and this is in the, in, uh, the assessment indictment, to mine internet data, like mining coal, to mine internet data to establish an inference and a narrative tying then-candidate Trump to Russia and further confirm that to DARPA, which is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, two DARPA employees have apparently given grand testimony, uh, grand jury testimony, that they did this at the behest of this Jaffe. And then you go on, so Jaffe basically is spying on President Trump, exploiting internet data from the executive office of the President of the United States to further their own political agenda and to damage Trump. 
And so Jaffe and his associates obtained information because they had come to access and maintain dedicated servers for the executive office of the president. They manipulated information to further a conspiracy theory that Trump and those in Trump's orbit were continuing their secret back channels with the Russians. This was repackaged. Now backing up, the, the first effort of the Hillary campaign to try to tie Trump to Russia had to do with this claim that Trump had connections with this Alpha Bank. That has been debunked, 100% debunked, cooked up out of you know, whole cloth out of the Hillary team. But this, this, this effort by this guy Jaffe to, to get inside the president's computers in the White House, the Jaffe guy is trying to then repackage essentially the, the uh, Alpha Bank hoax. And then, so he, Jaffe, is ordering his subordinates. They're doing all this illicit searching. They're coming up with internet searches. And then they are handing information over to Sussman. Sussman then first is taking it to the FBI. And he's saying, you know, I don't know what excuse he gave, why he said he had this, but he's trying to get the FBI involved, saying, look, 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 we have all this great stuff on Trump and the Russians. And then he finally, in I think it was June or February 2017, February 2017, Sussman takes the same data that Jaffe has gotten him and takes it to the CIA. Because apparently they were even more willing to gauge and use data they shouldn't have had. So what you have from the indictment now and this filing by Durham on Friday, as he's pointing out that Sussman, who's uh, been indicted, uh, was engaged in this conduct. He's basically saying Latham has, let me get back to that point, Latham Watkins, a firm I litigated against, by the way, and I mean, I won't even start. I'm not even going to go there. We did not have a fun time. Anyway, um, he, uh, Latham Watkins, has a conflict, says Durham, um, because, because of their representation of the, the Hillary team, the Hillary campaign. And the Hillary, um, i got to get the right name of the organization. Uh, Hillary had, um, okay, lay, okay let, me, let me back up. The basis for the motion is that Sussman's current counsel, Latham Watkins, might have a conflict of interest because Latham previously represented Perkins Coie and Mark Elias in this investigation. There might also be a conflict between, uh, because Latham represented both the Clinton campaign and Hillary for America and the special counsel's investigation. So this Latham Watkins is right in the middle of Perkins Coie, the most, you know, the cesspool organization. Uh, Mark Elias in a lot of trouble right now. So Latham Watkins represents Perkins Coie and Mark Elias. And, and, and they're basically saying Latham cannot represent Michael Sussman because they have information from, they Latham, from representing other clients that are gonna be, end up being in conflict with Sussman. You got to process that. They're recognizing that Latham knows stuff from their representation of Perkins Coie um, and Mark Elias that makes them ineligible, unable to fairly represent Sussman because they know all sorts of stuff uh, from that previous representation. They're saying, for example, Durham could offer evidence at trial, uh, evidence he obtained from the Clinton campaign and Hillary for America, and because certain employees of the Clinton campaign and Hillary for America might also be witnesses at Sussman's trial, theoretically, and anyway, it goes on and on. It's just a it's this viper's nest of snakes. And so this filing caused people to realize that you have a very serious connection now made between Hillary Clinton, her Perkins Coie law firm, and the spying that went on against President Trump during the campaign at his campaign headquarters, at his residence, and even after he was in the Oval Office, even after he's inside the Oval Office, this character, Rodney Jaffe, apparently doing this at the bidding of Sussman, who's now been indicted for his actions, and Sussman, so, so Sussman's facing charges for sure, but all this exposes that Hillary is tied to what Jaffe was doing which was spying on the Trump campaign, as Trump said early on, they're spying on me. So Hillary's now you know, in the hot seat, for those who actually think the law matters, in the hot seat, because she's engaging in this, uh, engaging in through Sussman onto Jaffe, getting in and spying on Trump. And very, by the language of the indictment of Sussman, with the intent, the purpose of finding something we can get him on, not trying to find truth, not seeking out truth, not finding out where, 
get him on something. And there's a couple interesting aspects I want you to think about for a second. Number one is, given what they know about Jaffe, and, and Jaffe's just like tech guru of the century. I, I have too many papers in front of me. Jaffe is this, this mega guru who, uh, who ran this internet searching. He ran all sorts of very, very high-tech internet searching companies. Um, he had a lot of uh, credibility in knowing how to do what we're talking about. And Jaffe, number one, has not been indicted. And given what is already spelled out in the Sussman indictment, a lot of people saying, well, why hasn't Jaffe been indicted? He ought to be the next one. But you know, there's people thinking maybe that Durham is letting all this out there and letting Jaffe and his lawyers and, and all, everyone involved in this know, you know, we probably could get you on some very serious charges. You're spying on the president of the United States, internet spying, you're you know, cyber spying. So maybe Durham is thinking he can get this guy Jaffe to turn and be a witness against the people above him. That's one thought. Maybe Jaffe hasn't been charged yet because they think he can turn. I mean, they're always trying to get in really big, complicated criminal cases, trying to get someone, you know, high enough who understands what was occurring, but not the ringleader to get them to turn and then talk about what they know. So that's one possibility. Second point, though, that's really interesting to contemplate is, so all this time, you think that the cooking up of the this Hillary, you know, just mission from hell to see if she can somehow prove that Trump and Russia are colluding when there was nothing to it. She made it up. Her team made it up. The smear job central team made it up. But so once Trump wins, he's in the White House. Why is Jaffe still, still spying? Why is he still doing that? I mean, you know, the whole effort to find evidence to turn the voters against Trump. He obviously lost it on that one. So why is he doing it? One thought being floated is that there was still hope early on in the early Trump presidency, 2017, that people could uncover enough through their spying and their false implications. Because it was clear from the Sussman indictment is you know, Jaffe's trying to get people to connect dots or, you know, make inferences. I think the word was make inferences. They, they, they were looking like they're just trying to cook something up. But maybe Jaffe is thinking, okay, you know, we still can get Trump out of there, out of there, you know, uh, and, and, and get Hillary back in uh, because we can prove somehow that through collusion with the Russians, you know, Trump really didn't win. And so we can get him out of there. So Jaffe may have been motivated by that. But you got to think, you know, this Jaffe is not dumb. He's not a dumb guy. And he's very, very, very tech savvy and very savvy. You know, he's got to be worried that, you know, he knows he's, I mean, I assume he knows. I'm assuming he's breaking the law. And that I'm assuming he knows he's breaking the law. He doesn't have authority to do the searches he's orchestrating. So who's telling him, don't worry, nothing will happen to you? Who's telling him, don't worry, you'll be protected? Because understand something really important. Hillary and her entire smear team, everyone assumed they were going to win. I mean, the, the, you know, everyone's predicted, even on election day, Hillary has whatever they, you know, stupid thing they said, you know, 99.9% chance of winning. Everyone thought that Hillary was going to win. So everyone engaged in this nefarious conduct before he won, but before the election, Everyone engaged in it, you know, Sussman and Jaffe, all these people, they're thinking, well, Hillary's going to get in. And once she's in, you know, she runs the DOJ, she runs the FBI. And, you know, we're going to be, they're going to drop this. There's not going to be an investigation. There's not going to be a case, not going to be a prosecution. She can protect us. That's how they had to be thinking that, you know, they, they're kind of not too worried about this, that they know they're doing things that aren't right. Because after all, when Hillary wins, you know, Everything will be erased. You know, they're talking about emails that got erased. I mean, everything, all evidence of all this can be just removed. And no one's going to bring prosecution. They assume Hillary's victory is going to protect them. But then when she didn't win, and Trump won by a landslide, then Trump is in. Now they're still doing it. They have to be thinking that there's something so... I mean, it's both that they think if they find something bad enough that maybe Trump gets removed and Hillary gets put in. 
And they're also just thinking that if they find something really, really bad, you know, it'll kind of justify everything they've been doing. People won't even care how the information came out. Like, well, look what we know now. And there was, there was never anything there. Several other iterations. This is a huge, huge, huge story. This is Hillary now at the very center, very center of the entire, you know, uh, Sussman indictment, the entire effort of Jaffe and his subordinates to spy on Trump, as Trump had been saying, you know, all along, they spied on me. It's a huge, huge story. Several other aspects of it that really, really matter. Um, one is that many people have been thinking that even, because all this is happening, all this, you know, viper's nest inside the DOJ and FBI, there are people who think that the entire Mueller investigation was always intended to be an effort to cover the tracks and protect Hillary and everyone in her, you know, smarmy world who, who protect her and support her. The idea was that Mueller, while appearing to be investigating whether there was Trump-Russia collusion, was actually supposedly, instead, getting in the middle of everything and eliminating the evidence, eliminating proof and, and neutralizing the proof of all of this spying on Trump that was going on during the 2016 campaign. Many people think the entire Mueller investigation was not an investigation to get at truth about the election, but rather the Mueller investigation was all about covering Hillary and everybody else's tracks who is involved in this entire effort to cook up a completely farcical, non-existent Trump-Russia collusion. So Mueller himself is often viewed as someone didn't have any knowledge of it. And now, last little piece, we're going to have to go off to, uh, very quickly for our radio listeners, but last little piece of it, it, some people are concerned that Durham is just like Mueller, that what Durham is doing is, again, going to put enough stuff out there, you know, a few allegations, a few names, that everyone's going to say, you know, um, uh, wow, he really dug in, and that Durham is actually also engaging in the further cover-up as Mueller did. More to be on this. We talked about this. And before our radio listeners go off, you're listening to America Can We Talk. My name is Debbie Georgiatis. Our website is americacanwetalk.org. Every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, we have a great list of guests this whole week. Great guests coming up. Tune in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. For those listening online, I'll tell you one more point, and I'm going to hit this again. We're going to be talking about Hillary much more because Hillary is now being propped up as the likely Democrat candidate for president in 2024. She's actually renewing her presence on the political scene, giving a speech at the New York State Democrat Convention. She's giving a speech there, um, and many people are talking about they're kind of resurrecting Hillary. She's the most beloved among the Democrat base. She's the most trusted. She's younger than Biden. Everyone's figured out already Biden is not mentally competent. He shouldn't even be there. So she's being groomed and propped up to potentially be the Democrat candidate in 2024. I'm out of time today, but we are going to go into more about who Hillary Clinton was and all the things she has in her entire life escaped any responsibility or liability. It is a breathtaking talent she has to truly avoid responsibility for everything she has done. But in this last two minutes of the show, I want to turn and tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started talking about the DHS fights free speech and opposes truckers. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security has become the U.S. Department of Homeland Destruction. Brazen, arrogant, defiant attitude and policies destroying the First Amendment. Americans who criticize or oppose the Biden regime narratives, such as no 2020 election fraud and vaccines are safe and effective, are potentially domestic terrorists. DHS actively supporting Trudeau and shutting down Canadian truckers' freedom convoy. DHS is wildly out of touch with what we, the people around the world, are thinking. And make no mistake, the leftist cabal that installed Joe Biden as president hates America and Christianity and the Christian faith of this country and is on a mission to destroy both. The survival of freedom is at stake in America in 2022. We, the people, must rise to save this country on the real insurrection plot, labeling January 6th as an insurrection disqualifying will disqualify Donald Trump from ever running again for president and shut down the MAGA supporters.
And now John Durham has made clear Hillary and leftist leaders of the CIA, FBI, and DOJ ran surveillance on Trump as a candidate and Trump as president. All decent American DNR are starting to wonder what's with the Beltway ruling class obsession with banishing Donald Trump. The answer, the complete corruption and anti-American moral rot of every institution of, of government instigated largely under the leftist Barack Obama and his AG, Eric Holder, was and is being exposed by Trump. And they are fighting everywhere to stop him. And a majority of Americans already see this. A supermajority is building. 2022 may be as tumultuous as any year in American history. And finally, Hillary spies and, and lies. And Trump replies. I didn't get to Trump's response. He was pretty strong. Special Counsel John Durham spelled out in court filings of facts surrounding the Hillary Clinton campaign, spying on Donald Trump as a candidate and as president. Overwhelming evidence points to everyone, everyone in the Obama administration, including Obama and Biden and officials at the DOJ, FBI, and CIA, knew about the surveillance of Trump and either actively supported it or officially turned a blind eye. This is an actual conspiracy, not a conspiracy theory. There was actual coup plot, not a stretch to call it treason. Trump is going ballistic with public statements. No mainstream media will even cover the Durham story because mainstream media is complicit. And the story itself represents the biggest crime in American history, the theft of an election. 2020 election fraud is looming on the near horizon. Trump was right about being spied upon. He is right about election rigging. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Please tune in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you